Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, we welcome you to Central Campus. Those of you who are joining online and also those of you who are meeting together at one of our other campuses in um, Bridgeland, down in South Calgary, up in Airdrie, and also over at Northwest Calgary. Well, on this cold, crispy winter day, we're continuing our study through the book of Colossians. So I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the fourth chapter of that wonderful book where Paul talks about his friends in ministry. So would you stand with me and join me in reading our scripture lesson for today. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that's happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Damas send greetings. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word, for inspiring Paul to write these words. And we thank you, Lord, for the friendships that are being described here. Teach us, Lord, what it means to be a friend. And give us the courage, Lord, to respond in whatever way you'd have us to. For we pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Now, if you weren't overly excited reading the passage that we just read together, that's okay. Don't feel guilty. Uh, It's not exactly the most riveting piece of Scripture. If we're honest, most of us would have to admit, when we're reading through the Bible and we come to one of these lists of names, what do we do? We tend to skip right over it. Lists can be boring, unless you know someone on that list. Fred Craddock tells of a wall of names that was erected in Atlanta of all the U.S. soldiers who died in the war in Vietnam. He says some of us looked at it as just a list of names. But there was a young woman who went up and put her finger on a particular name. And then she held her child up and put the child's hand on that particular name. And then before she left, she kissed the wall at that name. You see, to her, 
this wasn't just a list of names. That wall of names served as a precious reminder of someone that she cared about very deeply. Well, sometimes we fail to realize that the names in the Bible represent real people who were precious to God and to others and were used by God to make a real difference. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And what that tells us is that even the postscripts in the Bible, including long lists of names, are there for a reason. And that there's something there we need to apply to our lives. And so when Paul included these names in this passage, he wasn't just giving the church at Colossae a list of names of people they might know. No, he was saying these people were his friends whom he cherished and dearly loved and cared about. Now, you know, I wish I had the time to give the background to all of the friends that Paul lists in this chapter because so many of these people have fascinating stories and character qualities that we can learn from. But let's talk at least about some of them. First of all, in verse 7, Paul introduces us to Tychicus, who was an encouraging friend to him. Tychicus was a Gentile from Asia Minor, which is um, Turkey today, and he served the Lord by serving Paul. Paul describes him as a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. Tychicus shows up five times in the New Testament, and even though little is said about him, it's clear that he had a servant heart and was open to do whatever needed to be done without complaining or making a big issue of it. Sometimes he was a traveling companion of Paul's. Other times he was either a messenger or an errand boy for Paul, delivering letters to churches that were hundreds of miles away at times. Tychicus served also as Paul's scribe, writing down Paul's words that are now here in our scriptures on parchment paper. And upon completion, Paul asked him to deliver the letter to the Christians at Colossae, which was more than 1,200 miles away. He was a servant. He was a great encourager. He was a huge blessing and a great friend of Paul's. Another person that Paul introduces us to in verse 10 is Aristarchus, who was a faithful friend to Paul. Aristarchus was European. He grew up in Thessalonica in Greece. He's mentioned six times in the New Testament. He stayed with Paul no matter what the circumstances were. And believe me, that was no small feat. It wasn't easy traveling with Paul. In fact, it was often dangerous to be even associated with Paul because, you see, Paul had this passion for sharing his love for Jesus and the gospel of Jesus everywhere he went, and that tended to stir up trouble and persecution almost everywhere he went. 
And on more than one occasion, Aristarchus got caught in the crossfire, which resulted in him getting beat up or thrown in prison. For example, when Paul was, in, was preaching the good news in Ephesus, so many people became Christ followers during the three years that he was there that the silversmiths who made idols for a living noticed that their market was rapidly diminishing. And so they got the people of Ephesus upset, kind of worked up about this, and incited a riot. Unfortunately, the crowd identified Arist Aristarchus and Gaius as friends of Paul, and they beat him so bad that they barely escaped with their lives. In Acts 27, Aristarchus was with Paul on a boat that was shipwrecked on its way to Rome. And of course, he served prison time, not because he did something illegal, but just simply because he was associated with Paul. You know, all this reminds me of the fellow who had a horrible accident. He wakes up in the emergency room of the hospital in multiple casts, hooked up to numerous machines, and there is his wife, Norma, smiling down at him. And he's so appreciative that she's there, he begins to reminisce. And he says to her, Norma, you know, I remember when I was in high school and I broke my leg trying to impress you in that pivotal football game. When I got out of surgery and I opened my eyes, there you were, looking down on me just like you are now. And after we got married, I remember having an emergency appendectomy after eating that spicy soup you made. And when I came out of surgery and opened my eyes, there you were again, looking down on me like you are now. When I fell off the roof putting up the Christmas lights you wanted up so badly, had a massive concussion and two broken arms. When I got out of surgery and opened my eyes, there you were again, looking down on me like you are now. And then after a long pause, he said, you know, I love you, Norma. I just think you're amazing. But after reflecting on all of this, I think you're bad luck. He finally figured it out. Anyways, this is how Aristarchus must have felt at times, hanging around Paul. But here's the thing. No matter what he faced, no matter how much he suffered, he was faithful, he was loyal to his Lord and to his friend Paul. He didn't give up, he didn't quit, he didn't walk away. He remained with Paul to the end. A great friend. And then in verse 12, Paul introduces us to Epaphras, a praying friend of Paul's. Epaphras founded the Colossian church and most likely was uh, its pastor. He came to Rome to fill Paul in on what the false teachers who had kind of infiltrated the Colossian church, what they were teaching, which of course led Paul to actually write this letter to the church at Colossae. And Paul writes in verse 12, Epaphras is always wrestling in prayer for you. You see, Epaphras was passionate about prayer. And he not only prayed for the church that he was pastoring, but he also prayed 
for his friend, Paul. He would be what we call today a prayer warrior. Not just one who prays for you, but actually battles, actually wrestles, agonizes in prayer for you. (coughs) Excuse me. And you know, I'm so grateful uh, for those of you who on a regular basis, weekly basis it seems, remind me that you're praying for me, you're praying for our staff, you're praying for our church. I'm so grateful for um, prayer warriors in this church that pray for us, for my prayer team, um, dozens and dozens of individuals who pray consistently and faithfully for us. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, there, there isn't anything more important and powerful that anyone can do than to pray for others and particularly those who are on the front lines. And then Paul introduces us to Luke. Luke was a humble friend of Paul's. Luke was a Gentile, which means he was a, a non-Jew, and he was a doctor. And, and some of us may not understand uh, this, but being a doctor in Paul's day was a, a, a rare thing. And therefore was a position that came with an extremely high status. If Luke had set up a medical practice, he would have likely been very wealthy and a highly respected man in the community. However, he responded to God's call to use his gifts and his medical training full-time to do kingdom work by serving Paul as his personal physician, basically traveling with him. And as we've already seen, Paul needed a personal physician. If he wasn't physically sick from some ailment, practically everywhere he went, he was either beat up, stoned, thrown in jail, whipped, or shipwrecked. Well, fortunately, after one of those incidences, they didn't have to get the ambulance and race him off to emergency because Dr. Luke was right there with him. Now, you would think that the Apostle Paul, who had the power to heal, wouldn't need a doctor. And yet, you see, he invited Dr. Luke to travel with him specifically for this purpose, which demonstrates again that even though God can heal supernaturally, he also chooses to use medication and the gifts that he's given doctors to bring healing. Now, the focus of Luke's life wasn't about making a name for himself. It wasn't about prestige. It wasn't about accumulating wealth. It wasn't about himself at all. It was about living all out for Jesus and humbly serving Paul and others around him. And in the end, God inspired Luke to write the gospel of Luke and also the book of Acts which shouldn't surprise us that he would get the privilege to do that because the Bible tells us that God blesses, he gives grace to the humble. And Dr. Luke was one of them. Now these are only four of the many friends that Paul had. And what I especially appreciate about the scripture passage that we're looking at today is that we see another side of who Paul was. 
Now, so often we think of the Apostle Paul, or at least I do. Um, when I think of him, uh, I picture a driven, task-oriented, get-it-done Lone Ranger type. And yet, based on this part of the letter, it's clear that he loved people. He had many friends. In fact, Dr. Warren Wiersbe says um, that he mentions over a hundred friends in all of the letters and books that he wrote in the scriptures that we find in the New Testament. Over a hundred friends. Friends who did life with him. Who joined him in the mission that God called him to. He clearly believed friends matter. That God never intended us to go it alone or to be on mission alone. Friends were important to Paul, and we know they were also important to Jesus. Christ is our example, and through his life and his teaching, he communicated that in this life, nothing is more important than loving God and loving people. No amount of achievement no amount of trophies or power, prestige or fame or pleasure will even come close to giving you the joy and satisfaction in life that comes from being a friend of God and a friend of at least a few other people. The reality is God wired us up to be in relationship with one another, which explains why we want to be liked to be wanted and have a genuinely satisfying relationships. But researchers are telling us that we're not very good at developing close friendships. In fact, social scientists say we are facing a growing loneliness epidemic in, in the Western world particularly. In recent article in the Washington Post, former Surgeon General uh, Murthy said, even though we live in the most technologically connected age in the history of civilization. Rates of loneliness have more than doubled over the last 30 years, which is very concerning to him because medical research is confirming that loneliness is toxic to our health. Just a few weeks ago, the Globe and Mail referenced several medical research studies which clearly showed that loneliness actually makes people sicker. In one study, they infected over 200 healthy volunteers with a virus that produces the common cold. Why people would volunteer to do these kind of studies is beyond me. <laughs> Anyways, they, they found that people with stronger relational connections were less susceptible to getting colds and produced significantly less mucus than people who were relationally unconnected. Someone summarized that study this way. People without friends are snottier than people with friends. <laughs> In another study, a social scientist at Harvard University found that people who are most isolated were three times more likely to die than the most relationally connected people. They discovered that people who had poor health habits, like smoking, you know, eating mostly junk food and abusing alcohol, but had strong relational connection, lived significantly longer than those who had great health habits, ate really well, 
exercise and all that stuff, but lived more isolated lives. One pastor who happens to love junk food, he took great delight in summarizing that study this way. It is better to eat Twinkies with friends than broccoli alone. (laughs) Now, studies like these are simply confirming at a biological level what Scripture has taught all along. And that is we are created to be in relationship with others. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10 says, Two are better than one. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. There is no greater blessing in life than to have true, genuine friends. And so I'm wondering, how many close friends do you really have? If the bottom fell out of your life, who would be there to hold you up? I meet people all the time, many of whom are well-educated, doing very well in their careers, who tell me even though they know lots of people, they have no close friends. And they admit they don't even know where to start developing close friendships. And so in the time remaining, I want to get a little more practical and just talk about uh, some practical steps that uh, we can take to build genuine friendships. And notice I said build genuine friendships. Building something takes time. You have to be patient. There is no McFriend place out there where you can pull your car up, roll the window down, say, yes, I'll have one friend loaded with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, and supersize him, please. (laughs) Ain't no such place. This is something you are going to have to take initiative in and give priority to. The reason most people don't have friends, the reason 90% of men have not one close friend is because we're too busy just doing everything, the temporary stuff, and not focusing on relationships at all. And so the first key to building genuine friendships is to give priority to praying for a friend. Begin to pray daily that, that God would introduce you to a, potential, to a potentially close friend, a person of peace, someone you respect and have a special connection with. As you continue to pray about such a person, you can put yourself in a place where you can actually meet people who are on the same page as you are in the things that really matter to you, like your core beliefs and your core values and your interests. For example, if you want to meet people who are into physical fitness, chances are high you're going to run into people like that if you go to a fitness center. If you want to meet people who are into reading and discussing books, you may want to get involved in a book club. Similarly, if you want to find a friend who's into Jesus and being a devoted follower of Jesus, then you have a much greater 
chance of meeting such a person by not only attending but serving somewhere in the church or getting involved in a church-sponsored community group. The reality is you will never find a friend sitting at home watching TV or surfing the net. Neither will you find a friend in a worship service like this if all you do is show up just before things start and you get up and leave right after it's over. And make no mistake, the size of the church doesn't make any difference. People often assume it's harder to make friends in a large church than a small church, but the reality is it doesn't matter if you go to a church of 60 or a church of 6,000. You will never make any friends if you ignore everyone around you and not reach out and get involved. You may think because we're a large church there aren't any opportunities for you to get involved and to make friends. Well, I'm here to tell you it ain't so. That's a myth. We need hundreds of you to step out and to get involved in ministering to children, our children, to youth, to people with special needs, to, in worship, hospitality, hosting, setup and takedown, custodial duties, serving in the kitchen, maintenance and woodwork, administrative work, leading and hosting community groups and alpha groups, ministry to the hurting, the marginalized, the oppressed, the poor in our city, nation, and around the world. The opportunities and the needs are endless. The issue is, will you exercise courage and prayerfully follow the Lord's leading and step out in faith and get involved where it is He directs you? I mean, you can blame others for not caring or for not being friendly. You can blame the church for being too large. But the truth is, unless you take responsibility and take initiative to get involved, unless you turn off the television, stop surfing on the net, and get off the couch, and get engaged in other people's lives, you won't know anyone, and no one will know you. Yes, sometimes people drop the ball. You give them your name, and contact information and they lose it. Or they take forever to get back to you. But don't let that stop you. Friendships are too important. Keep trying. Talk to one of the pastors. Talk to those in, in the atrium, at the information booth. Keep at it. And if you keep getting no response, then come talk to me. And I'll make sure you have the opportunity to get involved in the area of your giftedness and the area of your passion. Now, if you meet someone you seem to have a connection with, as you get engaged in ministry, invite them out for coffee. Begin a conversation with them. Get to know them a bit. Ask good questions. Listen well. If you think someone might be a potential friend, begin opening up a bit. Be a little bit more transparent with them. Do they listen well? Is there empathy there? Or do they only want to impress you with all that they know? Keep praying about this. Keep ministering alongside them. You know, sometimes when we minister alongside each other, whatever that might be, it's amazing 
how we just naturally begin to draw closer to each other and get to know each other. Keep culting of a relationship with them. And if over time you sense God is giving you kind of this sense of confirmation that this is a person of peace, this is a person that might be a true friend, then keep leaning into that. That's the first step. Give priority to praying for a friend. Secondly, give priority to being a friend. When Corey Ten Boom was a young woman, her fiancé broke up with her and married one of her best friends. And understandably, she was shattered by the loss. And sitting with her father one day, he turned to her and he said, Corey, you have a choice. You can go through life feeling sorry for yourself or you can go through life pouring your life in service to others. And while sincerely serving others, you will be healed of your loneliness and your pain. Well, she decided to follow her father's advice. And not only over time did God fill that deep sense of loneliness that she had within with many good friends, but in time, as we know, he used her to have a worldwide impact for his glory. As someone once said, I went out to find a friend and could not find one there. I went out to be a friend, and friends were everywhere. Be a friend by being humble the way that Dr. Luke was. In John 15, verse 13, Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus calls us to love our friend not to compete with them in an unhealthy way or to compare ourselves with them. Competition says, I will crawl over your life if I have to, to get what I want or to get where I'm going. God's love says, I will lay down my life for you to help you excel to help you move toward what God's called you to be and to do. Don't make this friendship all about you or what you need from this person. Some people struggle having close friends because when they enter a room, their attitude and that the way they conduct themselves essentially says, here am I, notice me, Listen to me. If you want genuine friends, enter a room or when you sit down with a person for coffee, have the mindset that says, there you are. I want to know you better. Tell me about yourself. Learn to ask good questions and be a good listener. John, uh, James chapter 1, verse 19 says, you must understand this. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. When you are with others, ask yourself from time to time, when's the last time I heard a voice in this conversation other than mine? Be humble like Dr. Luke. 
Furthermore, be encouraging like Tychicus. Be encouraging with your words. D.L. Moody once said, people have a way of becoming what you encourage them to be, not what you nag them to be. When you're a friend, you are in a unique position to be the world's great, be their greatest cheerleader, to build them up and to build into their lives. The point is how you use your words will either encourage people and draw people to you or discourage people and push people further away from you. In Philippians 2.3, the Apostle Paul wrote, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. That isn't saying you should believe you're inferior to others. The truth is, our identity is not based on how we compare to others or what people say about us. No, our identity fundamentally is based on who we are in Christ, what Jesus says about who we are. Amen? That's what our identity is based on. And we are all one in Christ. Amen? We're one in Christ. No one's superior to anyone else. When Paul says, consider others better than yourselves, he's saying, focus on them rather than yourself. Lift them up through your words of encouragement. Believe in them. Celebrate their victories and their accomplishments. Bless them with genuine affirmation. Encourage your friend with your words. But also encourage your friend with your actions. Tychicus encouraged Paul by serving him, by showing up and offering to help wherever he was needed. Paul could count on him. You know, we pastors are human, just like the rest of you, just in case you didn't know that. And there are days that my faith wavers. There are days when I'm overcome with feelings of inadequacy, feelings of uh, a fear of failure. There are days when I wonder, will we have the resources? Will we have the finances, the servant volunteers to accomplish the mission that God has called us to as a church? But then many of your faces come to mind. I remember in my conversations with many of you down through the years, your commitment to pray. Your commitment to give, to serve, to, to be faithful, no matter what, to, to not give up or to quit. And folks, what that does for me, what that does for our staff, our board and everyone else around here, it strengthens our faith and encourages us to keep on keeping on. Good friends are willing to make sacrifices for one another. They're willing to adjust their schedules without complaint, to be inconvenienced, to change their plans for the other because of the love they have for one another. Good friends encourage you by being willing to bear the pain, the disappointment that you may be carrying and not leave you walking alone in times of failure and despair. So make genuine friends. 
by being humble like Dr. Luke, by encouraging like Tychicus, and thirdly, by being faithful and loyal like Aristarchus. I love the story of the, the girl who gave her boyfriend her picture. And on the back of that picture, she wrote, Dearest love, I love you more every day and I always will. I am totally committed to you forever and ever and ever. P.S. When we break up, I want this picture back. <laughs> you know, unfortunately, that's descriptive of too many friendships today. A true friend is someone who's committed to the friendship. Even when the going gets tough. Even sometimes when there has to be hard conversations. There's no giving up. There's no walking away. In his autobiography, Lee Iacocca says, the single biggest shock that he ever had was not when he was fired from Ford Motor Company. No, it was what happened right after he was fired. All of his friends disappeared. This is what he writes, I was hurting pretty bad. I could have used a phone call from someone who said, let's have coffee and talk. But most of my friends deserted me. It was the greatest shock of my life. Now the truth is, Ayokoko's friendships were surface level friendships. They centered mostly around work. And when the storms hit, well, those friendships just weren't strong enough. Proverbs 18.24 says, a man of many companions, in other words, um, the person who has just a whole bunch of uh, surface friendships, look what it says, comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now the friend that's being referred to here, of course, is God himself. And it always begins with the Lord, of course. But it's also true in, in the human realm. You can have all kinds of casual friends, but is there someone in your life outside of your immediate family who sticks closer than a brother or a sister? A friend chooses to see the good in you and believe the best about you, doesn't give up on you. A true friend has the courage to confront the person who's slandering you. Has the courage to stand up to the person who's speaking negatively about you. Has the courage to, to, uh, to stand up to you, to the person who's, who's passing on negative gossip about you behind your back. Just won't allow it to happen. A true friend keeps confidences. Refuses to pass on anything that would cause others to see you in a negative light. Unless the information is something illegal. And if that's the case, well, then they go to the authorities. Not to others, but to the authorities. Or if it's something immoral, they go directly to that person or those people who are impacted by your sin and need to know. And that's where it stops. Aristarchus was such a friend. He remained faithful and loyal to Paul even in the most difficult times. He didn't quit. 
When the going got tough, he he fought for their relationship. Be a genuine friend by being humble like Dr. Luke, by encouraging like Tychicus and a faithful person like Aristarchus. And fourthly, by praying for your friend like Epaphras. Hold your friend up daily in prayer, asking God's favor and blessing to be poured out on your friend's life. Pray that they would grow in their faith, that they would walk with God and be all that God created them to be. Hold up your friendship in daily prayer and regularly ask God to show you what he would have you say to your friend or what he would have you do for your friend. You know, I can't think of a greater way to bless a friend than to regularly pray for them. So to review, the key to making genuine friendships begins first of all with giving priority to praying for a friend. And then secondly, giving priority to being a friend. And thirdly and finally, it involves giving priority to being on mission with your friend. Whether that friend is your spouse or your family or a group of friends. You know, we can't be close friends with everyone. It's impossible. Again, I remind you of what Proverbs 18.24 says, a man of many companions, too many companions, you know, is headed for ruin. So how do we decide who our closest friends will be? Well, by inviting those people into our lives who have the same passion, who have the same mission as we do. If you're a fully devoted Christ follower, not saying you're there, but if that's, that's your, your aspiration, is to be a follower of Jesus, then you need to invite those who, go, who want to go deeper with God and who want to go deeper with you and who together with you want to be on mission with Jesus in reaching our world for Christ. It would be those spiritual friends who are willing and prepared to challenge each other to be in God's word on a daily basis, to pay attention to God and to follow through on the assignments that God gives us. It would be those spiritual friends who are prepared to pray for each other and inspire each other to be faithful in worship and in serving and giving to the Lord and who are prepared to spur each other on to reach out to those in our sphere of influence who need the Lord. And church, when you do this, when you link up with others who are on the same mission you are and passionate about the things you're passionate about, 
you will never get bored with the Christian faith ever again. You will never get bored with your Christian friends ever again. Your marriage, your family will never be the same again. I'll close with this. You know, with this being family weekend, I thought it'd be good to close with a quote from Francis and Lisa Chan uh, from their book on marriage and the family. Because even though we live in a world uh, where this isn't the case many times anymore because we have fractured marriages and fractured homes and all that, but ideally, our closest and most intimate friends should be our spouses and or members of our immediate family. And Francis and Lisa Chan, they talk about uh, what the key to that is. This is what Francis writes. Truth be told, Lisa and I have very little in common. I love sports, she doesn't. She loves the mall. I hate it with a passion. She likes to sing. I sound like a cow. I love weird Asian food. She thinks it's creepy. I love to surf. She won't go into the ocean. She likes serious conversations. I enjoy sarcasm. She loves Jesus. I love Jesus. And that's enough. He says it's our mutual love for Jesus that binds us and our love for his mission in particular. We both love helping people turn to Jesus and to be filled with the Spirit. I love watching her share her faith, disciple younger women, care for the poor, and minister to children. This may sound weird, but watching her minister attracts me to her even more. And she loves it when I speak for God fearlessly, even when others hate it. She encourages me to minister and assures me that she will take good care of the kids while I'm away speaking and serving. We love being on mission together. In fact, it's the times when we neglect the mission God has called us to. And we focus on our own desires, that conflict begins to erupt. Staying on mission is what draws us closer together. Honestly, he writes, we don't spend much time working on unity in our marriage or unity in our family. The unity that we have comes as a result of being on the mission God has called us to. It has been a byproduct of serving our Lord. You know, if you've ever been a part of a sports team, you know what he's talking about. If you're part of a hockey team, you have a goal, a mission. Not only to put the puck in it, but to win the game and ultimately to win the cup. And the amazing thing is you're focused on that goal by the time you win the cup, if you win the cup or get halfway there or whatever, 
you kind of look around the dressing room and you realize these men, sweaty and all, or these women, are very good friends of mine. If you've ever been on a short-term mission trip, you know what he's talking about as well. Very often you go with complete strangers, people that you might have very little in common with. But what binds you together right from the start is your love for Jesus and being on mission together with him. And when you return, you look around and often you realize that you've become good friends. And you didn't set out necessarily for the purpose of being good friends. Good friends, unity, closeness came from the passion that you had to be on mission for Jesus. And I guess what I want to say to you is all of us who call Jesus Lord, we have been called to be missionaries full-time. Some of us, yeah, we go overseas. We're called there. But the vast majority of us have been called to be missionaries in our homes, in our churches, in our communities, in our workplaces, wherever it is that the Lord takes us. My question in closing is this. With whom are you locking, not just arm to arm, shoulder to shoulder, but heart to heart to accomplish the mission that God has called us to? With whom are you in a genuine friendship with, not just to be loved and accepted and to shoot the breeze, but to give your life together to that which will impact the eternal trajectory of people who need the Lord. You know, the Olympics are on right now. And if you're going to take some time to watch part of the Olympics, as you do, I just want to remind you that a day is coming when we're going to realize it doesn't really matter what trophies or what accomplishments we cross the finish line with. No, what's going to really matter is who we cross the finish line with. Who we cross the finish line with. May it be so to the glory of God and for the sake of a world that needs the Jesus that we know and love. Would you please stand? Let's open our hands to the Lord again and just ask him those two questions. The first one being, Lord, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me about the level of friendship in my marriage? What are you saying to me about the level of friendship in my family? What are you saying to me about the mission of my friendships? Are we on mission or are we just putting in time together? And Lord, what is it that you want me to do about this? 
What's one step you want me to take this week? Father, we again thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful model of biblical friendship that we see in the life of Paul and his friends. And Lord, thank you for the reminder that we're wired up to be in relationship with others. We've never meant to be an island unto ourselves. We never meant to be on mission to accomplish the things you've called us to, Lord, alone. And I pray, Lord, for anyone here who's alone, Lord, that they prayerfully will make this a priority in their lives and trust you, Lord, for good friends. And you give them the courage to do that. And Lord, for whatever else, every person in this room and outside of this room, whatever else you've laid on their hearts, I pray that you would give them the courage to follow through and to do what you've asked them to do. For we pray this all in your precious name. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God be with you. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter 